Aloha, Kavika Miles here. First off, before we get started, I want to give a big old mahalo nui loa for taking time out of your life to listen to book one of my dystopian saga. Secondly, this free audiobook podcast is only made possible by those of you who buy some of my damn merch. It's easy. Just go over to damnitiloveamerica.com and pick yourself up an American tea, a dystopian tea, or hell, even get a copy of the book and read along with me. Regardless, I really do hope you enjoy Saga of the Nine Origins. Mahalo. Saga of the Nine Origins by Kavika Miles Read by the author Nine. Raider Encampment. Every time he whispers his sacred words, he's reminded of another life, one where he could proudly smile, looking into the eyes of his family, a life where they were safe and happy. That was then. This is now. From outside, the whistling wind disturbs his peace as it follows a quiet messenger into his tent. Yes, the shadowy old man asks, standing to turn, his hood covering his scars, tattooing his face. It's been years since he found this boy, alone and terrified within the rubble of the airport. No longer, though, is he a child, but a man. Kai, the old man says. What is it, son? Running his hands through his beaded hair, Kai contemplates how to best present the recent intel. It was foolish to have come, he ends up saying. I'm sorry to have bothered you. You came here to tell me that you have nothing to tell me? The man eyes his son carefully. What Kai has to say can't be good if his apprehension is this high. Is it another box? The question is not asked out of disappointment, but despair, out of fearing the worst. Caspian is a pawn whether he realizes it or not. A dangerous one, but a pawn nonetheless. The damage he has already done to their rebuilding efforts has been astronomical as he's intercepted every archive source of history they've had within reach. This is exactly how he knows Caspian is not the mastermind, but rather a loose cannon, one that has been strategically harnessed by the stones. We got there, but Ren was patrolling the region. Kai says, seeing the distress of his father's eyes grow. She knew. She was right where our intel said it would be, he adds, hoping to regain some dignity. Does she have it? The old man asks. No, his son says. One of the insiders does. I thought all our people within the region were dead, the old man states, his hope being restored. It was Kip, Kai states, hiding his disapproval. Not only was Kip not dead like Kai presumed, but for some reason his father seems to value this moron. That aside... It's better that Kip have it than the alternative. Why the apprehension? The shadowy man asks. This is good news. Can we get in contact with Kip? That's where it gets a bit complicated. How so? Kip isn't the only one involved. He found it with someone else. Jax. He always felt that the boy would have a bigger part to play, especially after Lisa's passing. 
but as his loyalty has never been tested, he could be as much of a threat as the stones. Having considered the matter as far as he can, the man turns to his successor. What do you think we should do? There are a lot of factors at play. It's complicated, Kai says. You already said that, the man says. The real question is, do you think we can still trust Kip? He then asks, having the prompting to delve into Kai's doubt. Kai's immediate instinct is to say no, but that would be his emotion speaking. Logic and impartiality to the situation at hand tells him that as uneducated as Kip comes off as being, he is tactical and dependable. We can. Just then, there's a knock on the tense frame's entrance. Yes, the older man replies. From outside, a second raider rushes in. Completely out of breath, her eyes bloodshot and cheeks flushed, her demeanor saying it all. Sir, she inhales before wiping the tears that begin flooding her eyes. Kip Wright was just executed. Jackie, Anne grabs, squeezing Jax's arms, trying to smother the bloody images of Kip from her mind. Her young eyes have seen death before, but it's always a stranger, someone she's had no emotional connection to. And as the child tries to comprehend this sudden traumatic change, she holds on to Jax for some semblance of stability. Jax, on the other hand, has seen death of someone he cared about. Before, sorrow and depression were the emotions of choice, as she was taken from him. Gracefully, but taken from him nonetheless. This time, this time his sentiments match the violent nature of the thievery. Let's get out of here, Mary says, grabbing Anne and pulling on Jax's hand. He doesn't move. Insisting, she tugs on his arm harder, trying to move the rooted statue he's become, her eyes welling with tear. Let's go, Mary repeats. Take Anne, Jax says, his blunt command catching Mary off guard. Never has she seen him like this. As if the world no longer exists, his cold, hardened gaze stares at those responsible. Imagining the actions that course through him as he plots, Mary fears he too will have his final moments. You're coming with us, Mary begins as the anthem starts to play. No, I'm not. He pushes Mary away, peeling Anne off him. Jax doesn't know where the rage will end, but he knows exactly where it'll begin. As the PPA officers scoop up Kip's corpse from off the stage, tossing it onto a stretcher, citizens begin filing out of City Hall, desensitized to the murder like every other life that has been taken on that stage. Run! Jack shouts out over the mumbled commotion of the masses. She barely hears her name, but keeping her course, she marches out the exit, ignoring the sounds of Jax's rage. But his outcry gnaws at her bones. She did this. She created the monster that is no longer afraid of the PPA, that no longer complies out of the fear of pain and death. Run! He repeats with more force. PPA ears begin perking up at the outraged worker, which is normal after gathering like tonight. But upon seeing his place within the crowd, Jax is deemed a non-threat. Jackie! Anne cries out, confused and in agony from the loss of one friend, fearing that she'll lose another by the end of the night. Seeing the futility in arguing with the man she's come to love, tears pour down her cheeks as Mary picks Anne up. Now is not the time for her, the older sister, to cave to her emotion, but rather save Anne. Unable to get to her through the crowd, Jack sees Wren leave through a set of back doors and takes a sharp left, walking outside, studying the surrounding alleys of the horrific glass building before him. That's when he sees her, alone and secluded down a stretch of quarter. Run! He shouts, his voice reverberating off the glass and brick path. She stops, but doesn't turn. Why? He yells, quickly closing the gap between the two. When within reach, he kicks her square in the back and onto the icy, snowy-covered concrete. Skidding to a stop, Jax rips Ren up from off the ground, flipping her onto her back. He wants her to look at him as he slowly crushes her windpipe, blackening the life in her eyes. But something happens that he never would have anticipated. She's staring at him, just like he wanted, 
but the expectant expression he riled himself up over isn't there. With her flushed cheeks, Ren's light, beautiful golden-brown eyes are watery, swollen, and outlined in a pinkish hue. Please, she whispers. I can't do this anymore. No knife can cut into her flesh deep enough to extract the torment now welling up inside. Growling, Jax reaches for her belt, unsheathing her knife to fulfill the request and end both her pain and his. Raising the blade over her unguarded chest, hate fills his eyes as Ren shuts hers, and whispering her last words, she wishes she could have done everything different. God, please forgive me. But they aren't her last words. He can't do it. After all this, Jax drops the blade, and as it clatters to the ground, he follows suit, collapsing to the snow where he begins to weep. At first, it's quiet, but as he lays there, crumbled with his face in the ice and back to the wall, his mourning develops into an uncontrollable sob. Sliding her hands underneath her hips, Ren pushes herself upright, not sure as to whether she should run or stay until he calms and can finish the deed. Folding her arms, Ren curls up as she waits, and whether she lives or dies tonight, her home is no longer an option. If Jack spares her, their destinies will be forever intertwined. Slowly, Jack gains composure, pushing himself up next to Ren. Why? Why, Kip? He asks, his eyes in the palms of his hands. Why not me? I don't know, she tentatively says. As nondescript and illogical as it is, it's the truth. Both he and Kip defied the government, making both guilty of treason, but only Kip was punished. What do you mean? Jax asks. I don't know, she repeats. Ren, a familiar voice echoes down the alleyway, and as Connor steps into view, seeing the scene before him, he acts, picking up Ren and then Jax. Go home, Connor states. Now, he then says, hugging Jax before pushing him out into the alley. We can talk there. Jackie! Anne shouts, seeing him shoot from out of the shadows. Startled by Anne's exclamation, Mary barges towards him. What the hell? Mary ferociously asks, demanding an explanation and smacking him in the shoulder. What were you planning on doing? You selfish bastard! Mary states, hitting him a second time. This time, her fist closed. Anne, just happy to see him alive, goes in for a hug, but is pushed away. Are you coming over? Anne asks, hopefully, needing him to say yes. No, I'm leaving, is his only cold reply while he walks further and further away. Why? Anne's quivering voice asks. Even though Jax's back is turned towards them, he can't unsee Anne's crying visage as she stands in pain and confusion. You're not the only one dealing with this, Mary yells out, her hatred echoing into the desolate winter night. You bastard, she then whispers, her voice tender like Anne's unable to mask the confusion and hurt. All the aggression and resiliency from her other life cannot conceal the misery and grief, and as she tries to implement her training to gain some emotional footing, she comes to the stark realization that her past will forever haunt her. With her head throbbing and her heart aching, Ren continues to ask the ever-damning question, why? Because he didn't understand, is the compartmentalized answer she gives herself. Kip was naive to the powers they were facing. Jax wasn't. When she made the initial call, fear drove Ren. Kip, not Jax, was moving things too fast. Rushing the decision-making process against a force like the Nine would have gotten them all killed. In the same breath, though, she knew her actions to kill Kip would have made her father and mother proud. It was a stroke of genius to appear steadfast while diverting her efforts to undermine them. And just like she anticipated, their suspicions came to a grinding halt, and Sullivan and Bella Stone were never prouder. Ren Stone was loyal to the oligarchy. However, something transpired that Ren did not factor into the equation. 
as Kip's execution unfolded, an overwhelming sense of dread encompassed her to the point she almost cried out for it to stop. Taking a life was nothing new to her, but it always stayed on the battlefield. Her enemies always knew when their lives were coming to an end and why. Kip's situation was different. He distrusted her simply because of her uniform and name. However, her mere presence in his home that night gave him hope that maybe he could trust her one day, that he could lean on Jax's trust in Connor, and by proxy, her. Yes, he stormed out, infuriated that the situation wasn't completely under his control, but he came to his senses. Kip approached her early the next morning and did so in such a way that testified of his training and true skill in tradecraft. Ren didn't even see him approach. The patience exercised to wait for the opportune moment where she was completely alone is something she and her PPA counterparts have studied but never fully understood. The interaction was brief, but he found the gap in her routine to make one simple statement. If we're going to do this, let's do this right. He was no mere laborer, but an unapproved. Kip was a raider. That's all he said before leaving in the same manner he approached her. And as the day passed, those nine words continued to weigh on Ren's shoulders. There was trust, and yet at the same time, there wasn't. With how quickly and silently he approached, Kip could have taken her life, and no one, including her, would have seen it happen. Instead, he gave her an olive branch. That's not the part that nagged at Ren. She was afraid. That's what drove her to follow him and Jax to that woman's house. And as she listened to their conspiracy, Kip had a very different idea of what must be done. And rather than reacting, she was proactive with the terror that gripped her. She couldn't let that box leave her sight. Taking a tactic from Kip's book, she waited for the moment he was alone. And when he was, Ren made her move. Never having seen his sister like this, Connor picks her up. For the third time, she's fallen to the ground, crying, saying the same mumbled words. His eyes. Connor is indifferent to what happened to Kip. It's cold, but he never met the guy until the other night. And even then, he was doubtful. Jax trusted him and so Connor trusted Jax's judgment. That was before pulling Kip's file. Now, Connor realizes how great of a resource the guy would have been. To say that Ren's actions were foolish would be putting it lightly. It is what it is, though, and as broken as both Ren and Jax are over this, Connor can't let the mission dwell on a single lost asset. The two of them have a small window before Sullivan and Bella begin finding reasons for their missing presence at the dinner table tonight. Despite Connor and Ren wanting to slow the pace of the operation, Kip's execution has made that impossible. Ren created a self-fulfilling prophecy that the longer they wait, the more they jeopardize the box falling into the wrong hands. Where speed was once their perceived enemy, it is now their greatest ally. Pull yourself together. Compartmentalize it and move on, he says, taking Ren's face into his hands. The words are harsher than most would be able to accept, but they're needed. He's right. Self-deprecating rot won't move things forward. She's a soldier and must act like one. Slowing her breath, Ren flicks her tears away as she begins to figure out how to reboot the machine Kip had in motion. We don't have much time, she says, standing upright. He'll be here. Give him a minute, Connor says, turning back to the device at the front door. He's shoddy when it comes to improvised explosives, but he'll get the job done. Finishing the final touches, Connor steps back away from the door, impressed with what he managed to rig. In that moment, the front door swings open. Jax! Rushing forward, Connor encompasses his friend in his massive physique. We need to get moving, Jax quietly says, the weakness in his body reflected in his tone. His apathy is short-lived, though, as he sees Ren, the rush of adrenaline, making a resurgence. What is she doing here? He asks, before Connor quickly puts himself between the two. She's with us, Jax, Connor says before moving back over to the door, shutting it and connecting the pressurized plate to the staged munitions. You sure about that? That bitch got Kip killed. Jax's tone rises. Just shut up. Connor's abrupt, booming voice gives pause to Jax's revived rage. 
Now is not the time. The clearing of slates can wait. The PPA are on their way to arrest you as we speak. On what charges? On whatever the hell charges they want to make up. I'll kill them then, Jack says nonchalantly. This time, Ren speaks, looking directly at Jax. Don't be stupid. They will kill you, one way or another. Do you know why that box is so important? Connor then asks. Why your parents left it to you? Do you? Jack spits back. I do. The short, immediate answer snaps Jax's mouth closed. If you want to know who your parents are, you'll shut up and come with us. You know my parents? No, Ren chimes in. Kip did and we might know where to find them. Without needing any more information, Jax runs to the loose tile under the fireplace. Pulling the rusted metal box out, Jax feels the newfound weight of its importance. One person has already died in its name, and more are sure to come. Here, Ren tosses him a backpack filled with equipment. Before she can elaborate any further, three pounds shake the front door. Jax Rouge, you are under arrest for obstruction of justice for the murder of five PPA officers, and for possession of treasonous documents. We've got to move, Connor whispers forcefully. Sneaking out the back, the three quickly create distance between themselves and Kip's house. From there, the sound of the splintering door kicked in is heard, and almost immediately following, the only tangible memories Jax will have of Kip erupt in a fiery explosion. Where are we going? Jax asks. He didn't dare talk until they were outside the borders of the district, and until that time, it was awkward as hell as he sat next to Kip's murderer. The mountains. Connor states, his eyes fixated on the dark road. With only one thing worth approaching out there, Jax asks, The Raiders? Why them? They're after the box, too, Connor says. So we're just handing it over? That's what Kip was trying to do, Ren calmly says. Immediately, Jax turns to her, and last time I checked, you got him killed because of it. Connor scoffs, Why would she have him killed to stop him from doing exactly what we're doing? Anything Jax could say would just be simple bias. In realizing this, Jax redirects his line of questioning. How do you know that? How do we know he was taking you guys to the Raiders? Ren asks for clarification, Jax nodding as his answer. Because he was a Raider. He had his suspicions, but the blunt news still startles Jax. So that's why you got him killed. No, it's not. I... She stops, knowing what she'll say is going to sting like hell. I was scared. Whether it's a reality or just wanting to make sense of her actions, Jax can see remorse in Ren's visage as she says this. Now, what Jax can do with that realization, he has no idea. He already tried killing her and couldn't follow through. Even if he could do it now, even if Connor allowed him to, what would it accomplish other than appease an emotion he's had less than four hours to process? It makes sense, is all Jax can manage to mumble. What does? Connor asks, his eyes still fixated on the darkened path ahead. Kit being a raider? The fear, the chaos of the last day, his death. It's no coincidence that both the Raiders and PPA showed up at the exact same time, creating a battlefield with his home at the epicenter. Is it the only one? Ren shakes her head. No, but it might be one of the last. Where are the rest? Jax asks, dreading that he already knows the answer. <laughs> what do you think? Ren scoffs. Jax stares at the box as he ponders this. It's something that he can't seem to piece together. What's her motive? What is Ren's stone afraid of? Why are you doing this? Why now? Jax asks, turning to her. What's the worst that could happen from prying? Is there a level that surpasses loathing? Why are you doing this now? She asks, throwing his question back at him. Because I hate Caspian, he shrugs. It's as simple as that. Jax is tired of the systemic abuse one class is putting onto another. And Caspian, the oligarch, seems to be the reason behind all of it. 
Well, there you go, Ren says, leaving it at that. Unlike Jax, though, Ren realizes that this hatred is only the beginning and not the solution to their problems. Like the Hydra in Greek mythology, killing Caspian will not solve anything for Area 38. Another more vicious leader will just take his place. The Nine, they are the real problem. They are the source of her terror. It's only a matter of time before Jax realizes the true debt of what they have started. We're here. Slowing the truck to a stop, Connor brings the vehicle to the edge of the mountain's tree line, and as the three step into the chilled night air, both Ren and Connor scan the blackened horizon they just drove from. You think we were followed? Connor asks, looking back, the glowing burn from the explosion long out of sight. Doubt it, Ren states, checking her watch. Unless they are using a bird, I think we're good. A bird? Jax questions, unfamiliar with the military lingo. Don't worry about it, Ren says, throwing on her field pack. Let's hide the truck and get going before the sun rises. We're 57 miles past the district border, Ren. We should be fine, Connor coolly says, clipping and attaching his own gear. <laughs> you were just the one asking if we were followed, Ren chuckles. Plus, it's not the PPA that I'm worried about anymore. Here, Connor says, tossing both Jax and Ren goggles. There's a button on the side of the right lens, Ren says to Jax as she puts on her own pair. After he's securely fastened them, Jax presses the tiny power button and the forest lights up as if the sun suddenly rose to midday. Whoa! Connor chuckles as he watches an awestruck Jax. Pulling out a computer no bigger than the size of his palm, Connor taps in a set of commands before a transparent map appears in the goggles for both Jax and Ren. How'd you do that? Jax blurts out, his excitement carrying in the wind. Keep your voice down. It's from a satellite. What's a satellite? They'll be here all night if they answer every one of Jax's queries. Just listen, Connor says. You see the river? He asks, highlighting it on the tablet, which in turn highlights it on the goggles. We're going to follow it upstream for about six miles. Then what? Then they'll find us, Connor says. This is where Kip would have been helpful. Connor's not a fan of the rudimentary nature of his plan, but that's the only way he can fathom to get an audience with his faction. So, they're going to capture us, Ren says, slowly coming to terms with the uncomfortable proposal. How do you even know it'll be Kip's group? I don't, Connor shrugs, but it's the best guess we've got based on what Kip already told us. What if they don't know Kip? Jax asks, thinking about the possibility. What if we've come across another group of raiders? Reaching into his bag, pulling out three plastic knives and three plastic guns, Connor hands one of each to both Ren and Jax. Then we use these, Connor replies. Let's go. It's been years since Connor has been out in these parts, and the river they were supposed to be following seems to have dried up in the drought. Couple that with the low vegetation and sparse wildlife, there's nothing like the haunting silence of a night forest to relax and calm the mind. Having lived a life in solitude, Connor finds serenity in moments like these, and as a solo operator, he's had to. From Connor's experience, he'd much rather face the vices of a lone wolf strategy than to worry about the safety, security, and proficiency of someone else. No team he's ever worked with has given him 100% confidence that they could save his life. That kind of trust doesn't live in the military he's been brought up in due to the simple fact that the legacies and the entitlement they bring to their ranks kills the pride of earning one's place. As ill-equipped as Jax is for what he's signed up for, he take the heart of a volunteer over a legacy soldier any day. We need a break, Ren says, breaking the silence of the still night forest. Can it wait? Connor asks, looking at their point 800 yards away. Ren shakes her head, pointing towards Jax. 20 feet behind, huffing and sucking in air, Connor is reminded that rucking is one of the many things the labor class are not conditioned for, and it's not just an unintended consequence of the law. As a student of cultural science, Connor knows that ideological and physiological weakness in subordinates makes them easier to control. Unarmed and mentally ill-equipped slaves are much more compliant than the armed, knowledgeable citizen. <laughs> you tired? Jax asks Ren, having finally caught up with the pair. 
Nope, she says, smirking as she tosses him a water bottle. <sighs> Me neither, Jax puffs out. Taking a swig of water, he then begins to analyze her, momentarily detaching himself from the horrendous grief she's caused him. He's far from finding any reason to put his faith in her, but that minute smile is the first glimpse of joy he can recall from her. It's lofty and fleeting, but a spark of optimism flutters inside. Wow, Jax thinks. She's beautiful. However, before he can follow that train of thought any further, a cool metal lightly presses against the back of his head. You move, you die, an icy voice states. Ren's eyes widen as both she and Connor reach for their firearms. I wouldn't, the voice calmly warns, numerous clicks erupting around the three before dozens of armed raiders step out from around the trees and rocks. On your knees, the voice says, pressing the metal more firmly against his head, commanding Jax to the icy dirt. Looking over first to Connor and then to Ren, they lock eyes as she mouths for him to just comply. Hurry up, the voice yells, smacking Jax on the side of his head. Wincing from the sting in his ear, Jax watches as a man steps out from behind him. Immediately, Jax notices the black skin. The only other person he's ever seen that comes even close to resembling the man's appearance was Grandma Lisa. As Jax continues to look around at the surrounding raiders, their appearance is the first thing observed, looking nothing like anyone in Area 38, labor worker, citizen, or PPA. Some are brown and tanned, having feathers and beads ornamenting their hair, while the darker ones, like the man in front of him, have their hair done up in little tiny ropes, and not one of them is without tattoos. What brings you here? The black man asks Jax. Jax shrugs his shoulders. What makes you think I'm in charge? He retorts, looking to Connor for help. But as he tries looking around the black man, Jax finds that Connor is blocked by two other raiders. I will not repeat myself. We're here because of Kip, Jax quickly states. It's a shot in the dark, but judging by everyone's reaction, it seems to have been well placed. He's lying, a raider forcefully states. They're on patrol. This far outside the wire? Ren blurts out. This whole operation could turn south quick if they believed the three of them were hunting for more test subjects. We got intel saying that Kip's clan would be here. All these white PPA people are the same, thinking they are the ones in control. At the same time, however, they can't be lying, Kai thinks. Furious, Kai kicks Jax square in the chest. Who's asking? Pushing himself up from the dirt, Jax's sense of humor begins showing through as he gives the dumb answer of, We are. If Kai wanted to, he could cause the man unfathomable pain. But that's not the point. Crouching down, staring his captive in the eyes, Kai simply asks, Why? Because Kip was my friend. He was my brother. Whatever commotion was happening amongst the raiders, it goes silent as Jack says this, and Kai doesn't show it, but chills run down his spine. It's him, he thinks. Kai can't be overzealous, though. It could cause great harm to the clan, but after a moment, Kai determines that the three pale individuals know enough to at least be kept alive. Scan them, Kai orders, and within seconds, three raiders are running scanners across the trio's bodies. And pat them down, he adds, knowing that if these three are as smart as they look, they're prepared. They're clean, a raider reports after his initial scan, but as they continue frisking, they find each equipped with a plastic knife and gun. Just like he thought, Kai smirks. We also found this in the large man's bag. Stepping forward, a raider holds up a metal box. So you are telling the truth, Kai whispers relishing in the fact that he has what Kip could not get to them. Throwing bags over their heads, the raiders bind Connor, Ren, and Jax's hands before trudging them through the forest. For Jax, it feels like hours, but Connor and Ren know it is 47 minutes and 23 seconds. Though the sulfuric aroma is nauseating, it is a clue for the two soldiers. Connor has patrolled near here and begins making connections as to the exact location. Upon hearing the crackling of fires and the mumbled hushes of women and children, Connor and Ren are able to picture a layout for the encampment. 
While Jax has no idea what is being said, having studied the Raiders, Connor and Ren comprehend almost every word and phrase. There's some good news and some bad news, Kai's voice intones as he shoves the three into a tent. A deep bass voice then shakes the tent as both Connor and Ren try to identify its owner. Bad news first, it says. We caught these three trying to locate our camp. The bass voice scoffs. <laughs> and the good news? They had a box. Connor hears Kai's gloves slide across the rusty metal surface as he pulls it out from his bag, handing it over to whom he can only imagine is the leader. Unmask them, the deep voice orders. The suffocating bag's stale atmosphere dissipates as Jax inhales like an infant taking their first breath. He also said he knew Kip, Kai says, pushing Jax forward. The old, battle-scarred man looks to Jax, unimpressed that he knows the notorious name of their recently fallen comrade. Lowering his hood, the old man reveals white, weathered, and battle-worn skin, whereupon Connor's heart immediately stops. He knows that face, somewhere in a distant memory, back before the founding. And how did you know Kip? The elderly leader asks, looking down at the box in his hands, reading the name Kimberly Blackham on the box's face. Clever Micah, he then mumbles to himself. He was my brother. We found that box together. What's your name? Jax. Well, I'll be damned. The old man chuckles, his eyes widening. Who are you? Give him the box, he says, handing the box back to Kai. Kai hesitates at his father's command. It's his, the old man says. But sir, Kai, the box is his. As Kai slowly complies, the old man looks over to the other two. The woman, who is no doubt Sullivan and Bella's daughter, and the other... The battled elder freezes as he looks at the soldier next to Ren. Studying him, all the old man can see are his wife's eyes staring back at him. How many years has it been that he's had to convince himself of Connor's death? Decades, it seemed, where regret has been his only solace at the loss of his son. Dan looks to the three of them before resting his eyes on Jack's. My name is Dan Trax, and your parents were dear friends of mine, as you'll soon discover by what you'll read in that box. Ren immediately recognizes the name as does Connor, when for the first time in years, he's looking at his actual father. Where is she? He shouts, his fist cracking the table in front of him. You said... Sir, the officer interrupts. There was nothing we could have done better. Caspian raises his eyes to look at the bold officer in front of him. The soldier stands resolute in his conviction that they followed orders as given. Military training does an excellent job at reprogramming an individual to take a directive without question. However, the concept of an implied task is just as important. It allows for a soldier, especially a leader of troops, the ability to elaborate and expound on said directives and orders without oversight. This was the officer's first mistake. One would imply that if Jack's Rouge, Connor Tracks, and Ren Stones weren't in the house when it blew up, especially since the two of them have high-level security clearances, that a search would be underway which it is not. One would then imply that it might not be the wisest decision to be giving such a poor update with no plan of correction in place, therefore implying that interrupting your commander with such asinine intel would also be unwise, which was the officer's second mistake. Could not have done better, Caspian slowly and methodically asks, letting the officer feel the gravity of the misconception of his own competence. He's already sized him up, and even though there is a hundred pound difference between the two, Caspian has always had something other men do not. You understand what is at stake? I stand by what I said. I lost three men in the initial explosion and will not lose any more tonight. 
The officer is relying on PPA regulation, culture, and his massive frame to save him, which none of them will. <laughs> You're so... Caspian chuckles out, elongating the word as he searches for the right insult. Stupid. Making a delayed lap around his office, Caspian then slows his stepping. Your aggression is telling, Captain. First off, they're my men, not yours. And I can do with them as I please. Secondly, you don't think I'm a proper commander. That I'm weak, don't you? For theatrics, Caspian comically throws his hands up before slowly dropping them to his hips. Drawing his firearm and knife from their holsters, he carefully places them on his desk behind him, wiping his hands as he turns back around. You and I both know what you want, Caspian says, folding his arms, crossing his ankles, and leaning on the desk, putting himself into a non-combative stance. So go ahead, take it. The officer grits his teeth and quickly plays the scenario out in his mind. With three other PPA soldiers at his disposal, the odds are in his favor. They are loyal and very effective in their craft, as is he. So, without a second thought, the officer walks up to Caspian and swings a thick fist up towards Caspian's brittle jaw. It's like breathing for Caspian. Nonchalantly, he leans just slightly, arcing his back, only to feel the wind of the officer's missed uppercut. As predicted, the behemoth's hammer fist comes sweeping down. Catching it as if it were a twig in the wind, Caspian's smile shocks the officer. Having picked their side, sealing their fate, two of the officer's men approach. With a swift punch to the windpipe of one and a heavy open palm to the side of the skull of the other, Caspian kills one and concusses the other in a single second, all while remaining in complete control of the beastly officer's arm. Eyeing the last standing private, Caspian simply shakes his head. Think about it, soldier. The burly officer takes Caspian's words as a subtle diversion, unsheathing his knife with his free hand and bringing the point to Caspian's neck. You will yield your... But before he can finish the weak ultimatum, the officer's wrist is crushed to dusk under Caspian's grip. Dropping the knife, it clatters to the ground, and with what strength the officer can muster, he forms a fist, striking Caspian across the side of his head. In an agonizing surprise, Caspian's head holds like a statue while the fist of the officer bends and breaks at the knuckles. As I was saying, Caspian states, popping his neck and then his back before breaking both knees of the officer, collapsing him in defeat. I'm not sure you understand what is at stake. In fact, I highly doubt you understand the kind of information you let my sister leave with. And by failing to apprehend her, Rouge, or anyone else they've been involved with, you have jeopardized the entire program my family has built. What? what are you? The beastly officer asks. Approaching the squirming officer, Caspian crouches by his side, taking the defeated man's head into his hands before looking to the last standing soldier. Looks like you've been promoted. And then slowly and joyfully, Caspian crushes the officer's skull between his bare hands.